Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Career Services Assistant Director Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our show is... Hi, Dr. Matt Walker, Director of the School of Communication and Mass Media. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Walker. Good to be here. Good to be here. <laughs> we've had basically every faculty member past I was going to say, I think we've gone through the whole the department at this point. So <laughs> just a couple we're still trying to get, but Will is the, the elusive Will. Oh, Man, He's been like, referenced more than I think anyone else on the <laughs> podcast, but we'll get him one of these days. So. Uh, well, it's like catching wind in a tennis racket. It <laughs> is. <laughs> well, we would really just love to sit back and listen to you regale us of tales of how young Walker came to Northwest and became the director of the School of Communication and Mass Media. You know, if, if there was ever a story that took twists and turns and had no agency of my own invested in it. <laughs> this is it. So I grew up in Pennsylvania and, you know, went through high school and was involved, you know, it was a small high school. So you get involved in everything. Uh, you know, I, I really didn't have a lot of formal training in speaking, but it was just something that, you know, I was never really afraid to speak in front of people, you know, or anything like that. And so, and an English teacher tell me, you know, you should really get into communications. You know, that's something that really, you know, you seem like you'd be good at. You're a good writer. You're a good speaker. So that might be something that, you know, might be up your alley. And, you know, it sounded good to me. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't going to be that, it was going to be history or marketing. It certainly wasn't going to be math or science. I'm one of the lucky few who don't have a math or science brain, I guess. But I went to college in at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, small liberal arts school. And I was really fortunate there. You know, we didn't have, this is back in 1990, you know, gosh, 42 years ago. No, 32 years ago. See the math. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we didn't have a lot of equipment. We didn't have a lot of stuff like that. But what we did do is we really focused a lot on the basic stuff. We focused a lot on writing writing for different audiences, really focused a lot on listening and reading and really absorbing information as well. And it was a good, it was a good start for me because it really helped me learn how I best learned. I had good professors. I had, you know, a lot of good experiences there. And again, this is one of those twists that, you know, just kind of came about was I had interviewed for a few jobs, a mark, couple marketing jobs, things like that. And nothing was really kind of coming. So my this way. was right out of city college, like right after you graduated. This is kind of my last. So this is when I started interviewing for positions. Probably I would say November, December is when I started the job search. And then into the spring semester is when I had, I started to get a few more interviews, uh, but nothing really felt right. Nothing kind of materialized the way that I had hoped. And so, uh, my hometown is Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, where there's a school a lot like the same. It's the same size as Northwest. Uh, it's a state school. They have master's degrees. They had a master's degree in communication arts. And so, you know, I'm talking with my folks and, and my mom said, you know, just as a backup, why don't you apply? You could probably get a grad assistantship and get your master's degree for nothing. You could live at home for free. 
which wasn't a huge sell at the time, but you know, <laughs> but that's what ended up happening. I, I went back, I had a, uh, a graduate. Now this is where it kind of turns towards the teaching aspect of things. I had a graduate assistantship uh, as an academic counselor for freshmen who were at risk at Edinburgh. One of the, the, the missions is to kind of focus on the kids who are sort of on the bubble as far as whether or not college is the right thing for them. And so those students who got admitted, I was one of their academic counselors, not an advisor, but just a counselor, someone to try to encourage them, help them along with study skills and things like that. And it really was, it was very enjoyable. I didn't, I had no ideas or no designs on even doing that coming out of college, but the assistantship really kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And so I had a great curriculum. I had, I had a great degree process. I had good professors, really enjoyed my classes, learned a lot about the whole field of communication. And so um, I had actually started to, and I, and, and in that assistantship, I worked a lot with a lot of the student athletes. And so there are positions at bigger schools, uh, the Northwest, kind of the, the D1 schools, where you are actually an academic advisor to athletes, and that's all your job is. And so I had applied to a few jobs there. Unfortunately, as uh, you know, as, as a lot of job advertisements read, they were looking for people who already had three to five years experience. Well, I mean, I had a couple years experience as a grad assistant, uh, but it really wasn't what they were looking for. So again, in the process of application or applying for those jobs, I should say, you know, I was talking to my folks again and, and my mom said, you know, if you really like working with students, what about being a teacher? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, for that, I need a PhD. Well, she said, duh, why don't you apply to a couple schools? And at the time I was uh, with someone who her home was in Missouri. So we went back to Missouri. I, I toured around the campus of University of Missouri at Columbia, met with the chair of the communication department, and we talked a while. And he said, you know, you, you might want to apply. He said, I think you'd fit in well here. And I, I really think you would do well with students as a teaching assistant. So I applied, got accepted, and that's kind of where it led me. So I had a really good experience at Columbia, uh, University uh, at Mizzou, Columbia, uh, really enjoyed teaching, learned again a lot more about the field of communication and ended up getting a job in Montgomery, Alabama at a very small college, 650 students at the time teaching there. So that was my first grown up job. And can we go back just just a second? Yeah. Um, I got two questions. Fire what? The first one is you talked about when you first went to college, you learned about how you learned. So can right. you just share with us like. How do yeah. you learn? Like, and can you distinguish? Like, how did you, how did you learn that? <laughs> um, it was, it, you know, in life when you have you have certain people who just stand out, and it's like they completely change the way you see things. And I had a literature professor freshman year who was just he was a great guy. He was a great teacher. You know, I took a few literature classes just as electives that you know I didn't even need. But because they were with him, he was such a good professor. He was so engaging. I was having some struggles freshman year. I just, you know, I, I felt as though that I was intelligent, but I just, for some reason, it wasn't catching on. I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't hooking the fish. And so uh, I sat down with him and I said, you know, I'm just struggling, Dr. Dixon. And he said, do you know how you're supposed to learn? 
And I said, what do you mean? And so we went through the different ways that people learn. And he was able to hook me up with um, oh, some sort of test or instrument that kind of showed, you know, hey, you're more of an auditory learner. So you need to hear things over and over. Um, and then my secondary is just, you know, I'm, uh, the reading of, uh, of material. And so he taught me that you really have to understand how you best learn. And then from that, you know, it's a process of, it's just kind of being curious. And that was one of the things that he, he just kind of gave to me. It's important to be curious about what's around you. And so I really tried to take that approach in college. Uh, some classes better than others, of course. But, you know, it's important to be curious. Why do things work this way? Why is it that we, when we send this message, it has this effect, but if we tweak a little bit, it has a completely different effect. And so, you know, there's the understanding how you learn best, whether it's auditory, whether it's, you know, through uh, kinesic or movement, things like that. But it's just also the desire to learn, the desire to understand things. And, you know, he said, once you catch that fire, he said, it's one of the hardest to put out. You will be a lifelong learner. and you know, I feel like that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I love, I still love to learn about different things. Um, and not just in my job, I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly doing that. But even outside, it, I found that, you know, I, fueling your brain and understanding and learning new things, it just keeps you fresh. It keeps you from stagnating. And so, you know, I, does that answer your question? Yeah, it sort of does. And then it sort of segues into the next question I had was, how, and and maybe I haven't asked this question before, but how, and I don't think people understand this very well if they haven't been through the process. How is learning different at the bachelor's degree level, right? And then you mentioned going into a master's degree. How, what are you learning? Because you're in the same degree, right? You're like communication at a bachelor's level, communication yeah, at a master's school. level, and communication yep. at a PhD level. So how does what you're learning in e at each level differ? So- my experience was at a bachelor's degree, you're learning a lot of skills. You're learning a lot of basic concepts about whatever area it is you're in. When you move to a master's degree, you know, you're really focusing in on that area. So it's a bit more advanced. It's a lot like your senior level classes, how you're, you're learning some of the, the higher comprehensive stuff. You're doing a lot more of that. But then you're also injecting a little bit of research into it, too. So you're learning how to figure stuff out. You're learning how to discover new things. Then when you move to the Ph.D., man, that's about all that is. You're still learning. You're learning a lot of higher theory. Um, one of the classes I took it was called communication theory. And I had that class at a bachelor's degree level and a master's degree level. But in... Uh, when I was getting my PhD, communication theory was all about, it was theory about how we theorize. <laughs> and that was, that, that took me, a, a, that was, I had to wrap my head around that a few times <laughs> to get that. That was my hardest class because it's just such higher level thinking. It's, uh, it was really, it was tough, but it was a great class. It really, uh, it forces you to really expand your brain power. You know, when you get a PhD, you really learn how to research and to discover new things in your field. And that's kind of training for that. For me, it was, it was that, but it was also, I had a few professors that 
realized that I was probably going to be stronger in the classroom than as a researcher. And that's kind of the way they were too. And so they took me aside and we would always, we would work on, on my teaching and how to reach students and how to talk to them and how to plan a little bit, lesson plans, things like that. So that's kind of the difference between a bachelor's, master's and a PhD program. I've told people before, and I firmly believe this, if you can get a master's degree, you can get a PhD. And if you graduate with a bachelor's degree, there's a program out there for you to get a master's degree as well. It's a lot about hard work and grit and hanging in there and understanding that you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get bad marks on a paper. You're going to get a professor that probably questions why you're there or how you got in, which happened to me. And that's okay because if you stick with it, if you hang in there, you can do it. You know, a lot of times it's it's with the help of a lot of people around you, but at the end of the day, your name is still on that diploma and you're the one who earned that degree. And and I just, I feel really strongly about that. I think people can, can really do it, but it's just a matter of committing to it and putting your mind to it. So you said Alabama. So how did you end up in Alabama from Mizzou? Uh, I was, it was literally one of about 20 jobs I had applied for. And it was a very small college. It's called Huntington College. It was a great experience for me. You know, it was kind of a new crowd, if you will. It's a brand new culture in the South, but it was a two-person department. It was me and the chair, uh, who incidentally, her name was Dr. Speech. <laughs> yeah. So it was a very different environment. And, uh, you know, at that time I, I, I was married and, and we were, we figured out we were going to have a child and realized that we were, you know, 13, 14 hours by car to the closest family. And then, uh, a friend of mine who worked here, who I did my graduate work with at Mizzou said, Hey, we've got a job at Northwest in the communication department. Might want to think about applying. And so, uh, you know, as as, uh, as fortune would have it, I applied and was offered the job and have been here for the last, what is it, 2022? This is my <laughs> 21st year at Northwest. I think this is so interesting to me. We have not had a single communication person who hasn't had someone who worked here who reached directly out to them. So they had a friend from grad school or they'd known someone from a conference yeah. Every single person in your department has said that we've interviewed, I'm pretty sure, someone at Northwest reached out and said, we have a position. It wasn't like they randomly found it on the internet. They weren't searching yeah. Indeed. Someone reached out to them and said, hey, we have a position here. You know, we have we have a, an outstanding staff. We have a great faculty here. And we're fortunate enough. You know, we kind of know each other and we know what we're really good at. And we know kind of what we need. And we're fortunate enough that we all kind of have our own networks. You know, we have a position that's coming open soon. And so I'm sure that we have a few professors who are already, you know, beating the bushes and they know people at other schools who may not be happy there or looking for a change or whatever. And we're probably going to get their applications too. So we know ourselves really well and we know what works and we know what doesn't. And we're a good crew. We're different in a lot of ways, which is interesting that you say that, how, you know, we've all had a connection to Northwest, but my goodness, you know, we all kind of fit like we're in a glove here together. We're just really, really fortunate to have the staff we do. And it doesn't hurt that you have, you know, 
a national championship speech and debate team and the student newspaper wins awards yeah. nationally every year and so does a tv station so that doesn't hurt i'm sure when it comes to recruiting faculty that you know that they know that the program is good enough that you're getting those kind of results with students too that's right and what's great travis is when we do kind of narrow the field down and we uh, either do a Zoom interview or we bring them on campus. We really do have really nice people in our area, in our school. And they're just good people that, you know, you can talk with them about, you know, the football game on Saturday or, you know, you can talk with them about the last episode of Yellowstone or whatever, but they're great to work with too. And I'd stop short of calling it a family because we all have, you know, we kind of all go home to our own families. But while we're here, man, we just all seem to really get along and do good work for our students. Do you want to talk about how you became the head of that family, how you became the chair of the school? Because that's, you know, that's that's a whole different level. You know, when you're a professor Is the in the chair department, the head of the family? <laughs> you're doing more. So, yeah, it's you're the, the neck, maybe not the head, you're the, neck. <laughs> the, the big toe. <laughs> So I was in, I think it was year 10 or 11, and I was just kind of plugging along. I had just gotten tenure. Uh, at that time, you could apply for tenure and promotion differently. So I opted just to go for tenure uh, at the time. And so I was, I had just gotten tenure maybe a year or two before that and was just kind of teaching my classes, doing my thing. And Dr. Haddock, who was dean at the time, came down and said, hey, you know, we're wondering if you might be interested in in being chair. And I said, well, you know, I hadn't really thought of it. I, I you know, it wasn't really on my radar. I said, eventually, I'd like to be a chair. I, you know, that would be nice. I said, but, you know, it's certainly something I would consider. And he said, okay, I'd like you to consider it. I'll give you till the day after. So I had like 48 hours to talk with, you know, my family. <laughs> so it ended up that, yeah, I, I said yes. And, um, for me, it's personally, it's been a great move. I hope my colleagues in the school would, would agree. But yeah, it was just one of those things. You know, I, I think I had the, the the backing of the media faculty and the communication faculty. Pretty much got along with everybody pretty well and worked well with people on committees and things like that. And so I was kind of asked and when the when the bell rang, I answered the bell. And you've, you've done it for a while because I was a student in the department prior to your tenure and it seemed like there were a whole, there was a while where it was like, there was a new chair, like if not every year, then every couple of years, it was like, oh, who's chair now? Oh, okay. And then it's like yeah. a couple of semesters later, it'd be like, oh, it's somebody else's chair now. And it's like, you've been it for, you know, a decade now at this point. So yeah, you obviously like the job and are able to do it. You know? I really do. And, I, and I'll tell you why I like it. It's because the people I get to work with are phenomenal people to work with. You know, very rarely do I come up against a lot of resistance or, you know, bad blood or anything like that. You know, we're just, I'm really fortunate that everybody really is on the same page. The faculty, the, the folks that I work with here in the school, they're just, I mean, everybody does such great work in their own way. And everybody is very good in the classroom. And so, you know, for that, that makes my job really easy. I don't, you know, I have a bunch of good people around me and I try to not stick my hand in the soup too much and let them do their thing because they're all competent and they all, I know they're going to do a good job. You know, the, the, the folks who I, I, you know, I guess you could call, I work for Dr. Hoyman and, and, and Dr. Green or last year, Dr. Jasinski, 
uh, but Dr. Haddock as well. Uh, work with Mike Steiner, our Dean of Arts and Sciences, Dr. Steiner. They're all great to, I don't, I never feel that I'm working for them or that I'm beneath them on the depth chart or anything like that. It's always, Hey, there's a problem. Let's tackle it. And it's, it's very much a work beside rather than across the table type of thing. And so, you know, for me, it's just, yeah, there are a lot of challenges and, and things that come up that, you know, fires you got to put out now and then, but realistically, the people that you get to work with, that's what makes the job. And, you know, everybody, you know, our, our office manager, Marla McCrary and Will Murphy, the guy you mentioned at the beginning, they truly make my job very easy. And it's not an easy job because there's a lot to it. But uh, that was my next question. Could you tell us maybe so teaching or as just a professor, I say uh, just a professor, right? No, like right. as a professor teaching in the classroom, how how are your job duties different or what are the job duties of the chair versus being a member of the faculty? So, you know, as a member of the faculty, you have to teach a minimum of 12 credit hours per semester. You know, if you have a special duty or, or you're assigned a position, uh, you know, you may get a one course release. So you're teaching nine hours. For directors, we are beholden to take or to teach at least one three credit class. Some of us teach a few more just because of departmental needs or school needs, things like that. But we're kind of like 75% administration and 25% teaching, which is really good because it keeps us in the classroom and we're still, you know, working on our teaching chops like that. But at the same time, there's a lot of oversight administrative stuff that we have to pay attention to. So we kind of act, directors are a little bit different than chairs. The directors kind of act as their own deans. So if there's an HR issue or something like that, we kind of handle it in-house here. You know, a lot of the budget stuff, you know, we're pretty much autonomous with how we spend our money, uh, which is nice. So there's just a lot of that as directors that we're responsible for you know, professors, you can work on teaching and committees and advising. With directors, we advise, we also teach. And then we have, can I, you know, we have our directors committee, we have chairs and directors committee, and then we also meet with the provost, the provost council. So we kind of have our own different committees like that, but we're always hopping. You know, there's always something going on. And, and that's what makes this job so much fun is there's always a new challenge. For example, this, we're going to open up a hopefully, knock on wood, a ma an online master's degree in the fall of 2023. So we're working on that now. Uh, we just proposed a social media major that's going through the system. Hopefully that'll get approved and we'll be promoting that, you know, hopefully next spring and then to open that up to everybody in the fall. So there's always something going on. And that's not even to mention the day-to-day -day stuff that happens, you know, a projector breaks or, you know, there's a something in the classroom, hopefully not a snake, things like that. So, so yeah, it's a great job. It really is. You also do what I think is the most difficult job on campus every semester. You read the names at graduation, which <laughs> if you said, Travis, you have to pick one job on campus that you never, ever, ever, ever want to do. That's the one I'd pick because like in all my years of radio, names were always my kind of, I, no matter how you pronounce a name, I will say it wrong. So you'll be Walker instead of Walker because my brain does not process names. So how did you get the gig of being the name reader at graduation? Because that's, that's kind of a big job. There's 
there's a lot of people and everybody yeah. wants little Johnny's name to be perfect when he goes and gets his diploma. So it's a fun gig. It's tiring at the end of the day. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sweating and, you know, I'm in the robe all day, but it's really a good time. And, and I, and I was asked to do it. Oh gosh, maybe seven or eight years ago. Uh, Gina Bradley, who used to be, you work in university events. She emailed me and said, Hey, is this something you, you know, you'd be interested in doing? I think somebody was sick or they couldn't make it. And I was just kind of filling in. And so I said, yeah, that sounds fun. And, you know, I think at the time we were doing Friday and Saturdays. And so I, I did it on Friday. I think it was graduate school on Friday night. And uh, I had a blast with it. And I, after the ceremony, I said, Hey, if you ever need somebody to do this again, let me know. I think it's, it's kind of fun. And famous last words said, around here. <laughs> said, okay. I'm going to hold you to that. And so since then, you know, there've been a couple of times, uh, Dr. Wall, Tim Wall over in education, he's done it when I, I couldn't make it one year or one ceremony, AJ Bandy, Dr. Bandy over in computer science. Awesome guy helps with the, uh, Indian students names just cause they're so completely different. So he'll step in, he sees them coming up the ramp there and he'll step in and take their names. And I just, I'm like you with, you know, the way you are Travis with names, I'm that way with uh, some of our international students. I, I want those names to be right because that's a big moment for them. And so I'm glad that Dr. Bandy can do that. Um, and he does a great job and he's, he's fun to work with too. So yeah, it was kind of one of those deals. It was just. That's funny. Cause I think that's a little bit of a personality thing because that sounds fun to me. Like, I think that would be fun, right? Where Travis is, is like, no, no, no. But I'm like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's it's kind of an honor because yeah. that's the last formal moment for a lot of these students in an academic, in their academic career. And, you know, you get to see all the parents there and there's just, you, you get to hear all the hooping and hollering when they announce their names. That is a huge deal for them. That is like, it the, should that's be. their the pinnacle of their experience i hope right absolutely yep. yep. and i'd i'd do any other part of the ceremony just <laughs> don't have me read the names <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well what's interesting is i kind of catch students on the front end and on the back end so i do the graduation but oh gosh for the last 16 years maybe more i do uh, an opening speech at soar for all the incoming freshmen and parents and it's, it's been modified over the years a bit, but it's kind of a, this is what you need, you know, from a faculty's perspective, this is what you need, need to do to be successful. Over the years, I've, I've kind of hardened it, the message up a little bit, just because I think they need to hear that you're going to get knocked down. You might get a gut punch now and then, but you need to be tough and stand up. And moms and dads, you need to let them do it on their own. That's kind of the, the one sentence message of, you know, a 10 or 15 minute speech, but it's neat to see them come in. And then I had a few, I had a few moms and dads at graduation say, Hey, didn't you deliver the speech when we first, I'm like, yeah, that was me. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Now I used to run your slides when I was in admissions, I was the slide oh, guy right. at SOAR. So I, I actually <laughs> use a, a quote. Slide guy. <laughs> yeah. I stole your, uh, your quote. You, you have a quote in that, or you used to that, you know, preparing to fail is, or failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I use that with our students now all the time. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the Dr. Walker is where I got that from. It's so. a very true. Yeah. I stole that from somebody, <laughs> but yeah, it's a very, it's just very true. Yeah. Along the lines of as chair or excuse me, director, mm -hmm. um, you are responsible then for hiring in your area. 
correct? Doing committees and hiring, et cetera. Um, Could you share with us some of the things uh, that you feel make a person a good candidate for a role or AKA, how can I prepare myself to be a good candidate when I'm going in for a job interview? I'd say the first thing is the best candidates that come in first on paper do a really good job of focusing their resume on what we need. The resume is kind of dynamic. It's it changes for whatever job you need. So you know, and and a lot of jo- you know, if you're in our field, you probably don't have to change it a lot, but you make the tweaks where need be. For example, we focus most of our efforts on teaching. You know, we want people to come in here to be good teachers. Yes, it's important that they can research well, but the focus of your job is going to be on teaching in the classroom. And so we look for people who are really effective in the classroom and who can teach those classes or the areas that we need them to teach in the uh, job description and the advertisement. So that's the first thing. The other thing, when whenever they make that cut and we either have them on a Zoom interview or we have them on campus, it's really good to see people who are comfortable in their own skin, who are confident. And I realize that that's a little bit easier said than done for some folks, but the more you can believe in yourself and understand that, you know, when someone brings you on campus or to a work site for an interview, there's a reason why you're there. It's not because they're going to bring 50 people in and interview them face to face. They don't need to do that anymore. If they're bringing you on site, you have a legitimate shot at the job. Or as we say in our school, you got a shot at the title which is really important. And it's as much an interview of us. We're trying to sell Northwest and our school as it is that candidate who's trying to sell themselves on us. And so, you know, you you really need to go into your interview with with a little bit of an air of confidence, not too much, but just know that, hey, you, you can do this. We think you can do this. One of the big things that we want to see in an interview is, is there a good fit? And we often have them teach a lesson in front of students. How do they do in front of students? How do they interact? Um, You know, we've had people who do a good job of lecturing, but then when it comes time to interact with students, uh, you can just tell it's not a good mix. They don't interact well with students for one reason or another. And so I think, you know, it's important to do your research before you go on on the job interview, wherever you're going, is to know a little bit about the culture. Uh, the people who know us well, who read about us, who you know go online and read, you know maybe they read the Missourian now and then, uh, or they read stories about our school or whatever. It's those folks who seem to do really well, who really seem to want to be invested in what we're doing. And so that's kind of how I would, you know, I I hope that answers your question well. But that's what we look for. You know, we will look for people who are confident, who purposely try to make sure that we know they can fit the bill in their resume. They tailor their resume to us. And then when they get on campus, you know, be comfortable in your own skin. Just know that we're trying to recruit you as much as you are, you know, trying to impress us. How much different is it hiring the staff versus hiring faculty? Because, you know, you also oversee staff as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a lot different. You know, you're trying to fill a position but you're also looking for a particular kind of person as well. I'm fortunate. I have not really had to hire. I think I've only had one staff hire. 
since I've been here. Marla McCrary, our office manager, has been here for she's been here longer than I have. And Will Murphy has been Will here. was born here. Yeah. I think Will was born here, <laughs> he right? He was hatched from a camera case somewhere in Wells Hall. <laughs> um Will so, was fun fact, Will was in classes with me when I was here. Like Will was already doing stuff in Wells, like when we were here as students. So Yeah. My first year of teaching, I think Will was a senior. And I remember him. And he was uh he was he was really cool back then. And now that I've gotten to know him as, you know, we're kind of both grown ups now, he's a, he's a great guy. And I, it, and my, and to answer your question, Travis, is it, is it different? I don't think so. Because again, you're looking for the right fit. You're looking for someone who can do the job, but who can also interact well with faculty, other staff, and especially students as well. All right. Anything else maybe that you wanted to share with us? Words of wisdom? Maybe Will Murphy, we will get you on the show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you got to get Will. Will's, Will's, Will's outstanding. No, I would just say, you know, to when you're looking for a job, you know, I've heard students kind of in the background say, oh, I hate this process. This is a fun process. It's stressful. It's inherently stressful, but enjoy it. You know, enjoy the ride because there's a lot of excitement that goes on with your first job per se. And all, you know, don't be afraid to ask your faculty members questions um, because if we don't know the answers, we have alumni connections that we can hook people up with. Right. And, you know, kind of help you get, you know, steered right. Or, you know, if, if it's a resume thing, you know, we've got folks who are probably in the industry you're looking into uh, who could give you some good hints, too. So, yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help in your job search. I mean, that's the Bearcat Network is both deep and wide. Don't forget that. Yep. And everybody wants to see you succeed. You know, no one's going to hold you back. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate your uh, asking me for it. All right. Well, that will do it for the episode of Behind the Bearcat. And we'll talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.